This episode of the Big Head Chats podcast on the On The Pine Sports Network is brought to you by Mulcahy & Co. Marketing. For all your marketing needs, Gav and the team have you covered. They do it all, including making our website. Check it out at www.onthepinesports.com.au. They also build online stores using Shopify. Throughout COVID, more and more businesses need to go online and Gav can help you do that. Check out their latest store at www.wardrobebythesea.com.au. If you need some help with your online presence, then get into contact with the team at www.mulcahy.com.au slash marketing. Now I can actually provide a service for you through the podcast. So mention Big Head Chats while you're there and the guys will give you a free website report on your current website, which gives you an idea of how it is performing with SEO, page load and many other aspects. It also gives you recommendations for changes that can be made. So, uh, yeah, jump on it quick because I can finally give you something, listeners. But for now, let's jump into this week's episode. Let's go. What is up, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of the Big Head Chats podcast. We've got Matty Nevin in again. Matty, welcome back, mate. We're not quite as excited about this weekend's games as we were for week one, but um, plenty to talk about still. Great to be back, Nashi. Hopefully, I don't have to talk about Melbourne off the top this week as yeah, well. Yeah, we're not going to put you through that again. <laughs> Good. Um, but there's plenty of, plenty of big storylines coming out of these semifinals, and more like weren't quite the the intense games that we saw in week one and, and the entertainment that we saw in week one, um, they both set up some pretty mouth-watering prelim finals this weekend. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. They weren't exactly epic uh, elimination finals or semi-finals over the weekend, but uh, like what you're saying, that these are probably two of the most mouth-watering is the word used, and, and I can't probably recall a more fascinating pair of preliminary finals in my time. I think they are so evenly poised coming up this week and, and, and any of the four teams could win the premiership and any of those four teams is going to need to play two exceptional weeks of football. So, yeah, we can put the couple of fizzes behind us because we do have some really good football to look forward to. I think the, the possible storylines out of the prelims are what draw me to the game. So... You've got Richmond and Geelong, who have sort of been the, the staple mates up the top of the ladder, for the, especially the last four years when Richmond sort of joined that group. Um, you know, coming up against Brisbane and Port, who are those fairy tales trying to, you know, break in and um, win premierships for the first time in a long time. They've both got home prelims, so the excitement's there. So you can sort of you can sort of picture the, the newspaper now for next week. You know, you've either got the experience, mm. you know, sides get the job done or the the young brigade sort of get over the line and, and set up a pretty entertaining grand final. Well, that's right. I mean, you've got four sides who have all won a premiership in the last 20 years, but in reality of what we're faced with this year, it's two of the great sides of the modern era really up against two really young emerging sides that are new on the block. And, um, you know, for, for different reasons, they're all got a, an element of a fairy tale about them. Um, and, and it's going to be fascinating to see which way it sort of plays out um, especially on Friday night, I think, with, with Port Adelaide hosting a, hosting a final at the Adelaide Oval against Richmond, who have been the, the dominant side over the last three or four years. Um, are they going to be good enough to knock them knock them off their porch, essentially? So, yeah, what an opportunity presents itself for, for Port Adelaide on Friday and then again for Brisbane, again with a home final, a home preliminary final, to do the exact same thing against uh, another side that's been at the top of, of the ladder for a long period of time now. So we're gonna we're gonna dive into the prelims um, a little bit later, but we're gonna start with uh, Friday night's game, Richmond St Kilda. So the Tigers got up by thirty one points, and while the margin in the end looks comfortable, I can speak as a Richmond supporter. I was never comfortable throughout the entire game. Did you sort of get well, that feeling? Been, you should have been Nashy because well, yeah, you really should have been because the game was never in doubt. I mean, and you're right. 30, Maybe I'm just a nuffy 30, supporter. I just ride the wave of every well, single bump. Yeah, I think when you are a supporter and in a game as big as that, you probably don't ever feel home. But as a neutral observer, it was so obvious that St Kilda had to start well and they had to be in the game early because Richmond are just so good at once they've got the lead, they know exactly how to win from there. Oh, I don't know what the statistics are. I'd love to know. I'd love to get a Josh K or someone to be able to tell me <laughs> what the stats are. When Richmond lead... At half time, when Richmond lead at quarter time and half time, what are the the percentages or the odds of them winning from then on? I I can't really recall too many games where they've lost 
from being in such a dominant position. And it was always going to be the case. They had the game set up on their terms. They came to play with the right attitude. The Saints were probably nervous, probably a little bit apprehensive, some changes to their side. The Tigers got the jump on them. The Saints missed their opportunities. And yeah, like I said, as a neutral observer, it was it was very obvious how the game was going to pan out. I sort of, the way Richmond were playing, you felt like we should be further in front. So that, that was how I saw it. it was the way the, the style of the game and um, the chances Richmond had, I thought we should be further in front. So you were sort of thinking, you know, I don't want to go down the path of, oh, we had these missed opportunities and you let St Kilda back in. Because once St Kilda get their tail up, you know, they're young and, and fast. Um, you never know what can happen. But, um, you know, it was the Tigers' big, their, their core group of good players that stood up. So... Um, Bolton, uh, Tom Lynch, Dusty, Shane Edwards, Hooley, Cochin all played really well. And, you know, when your core group of, of experienced players like that are playing well, it's hard to beat. No, that's exactly right. And actually, that's what I had written down. I think uh, it, it gets to this point of the season when Richmond's really good players find another gear. And, and Martin's found another gear. Lynch had seven scoring shots. Bolton's on fire. Their star players are playing like star players, whereas I think in the first half of the season they're in almost cruise control yep. and they do enough. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like they conserve their energy for this time of the year when they really ramp it up. And I think you know they're they're just pro- they're peaking right now. If I could use you know horse racing terminology, they're peaking in the run mm. at the right time. Um, and and yeah, I th- I think there is a good a chance to beat Port Adelaide. You know, even though they they came up short during the year, I think they'll be up to it. You know. Up to their eyeballs. Dusty's the one that you watch him in the sort of early parts of the year. You can just tell he he's in cruise control, mm. and it's so obvious because then he gets to a final like this, and um, you know has twenty five touches, has six hundred meters gained. Um, a couple of those are mongrel punts, but they seem to come off for some reason, which I don't always love. But um, you sort of yeah, you just see him take that extra, go to that extra level that. We saw him have for a whole year in 2017. So it's a pretty nice when your good players can be that comfortable and then come finals time just clicking the gear I pretty think he, quick. he really makes his presence felt in the big games at this time of the year, Martin. And I think the opposition players know who he is because he he, he, he can he asserts himself on the contest and he has he gets involved in big moments and he capitalises on his opportunities. Um, and, and the crowd can sense it. I think everyone in the stadium feels it when he's around the footy. Um, and that's what the very special players are able to do. A little bit similar to how Dangerfield had an impact on Saturday night. You know, the really star players in the big games, um, they, they've got that they've got that extra gear, that, that next level that they can rise to that the ordinary players can't get to, yep. and that's what Martin was able to do on well, Friday night. We've just... I don't want to compare Dusty to LeBron James, but we have just seen that from, when, from LeBron James today with the Lakers winning um, the championship. So... LeBron for the last, I'm going to say since he got back to Cleveland for his second stint, so that's six years ago, um, is in cruise control throughout the regular season. And I've watched him live against Washington one day when I was over there. And Washington were good at this point. So this is a, this is a big game. And LeBron, it seemed like he just did not care. Just jogging up and down and then quietly had a triple-double. And you're just like, so that's where he's at. That, that's at his sort of normal player level then when it get when the stakes get higher it's just ramp it right up and I'm not sure how you stop it mm. and the, the thing with Martin isn't it's it's funny because Richmond have been such a great team over the last couple of years but he, he does have that effect in a final series and at the back end of a season where he almost he mo- almost just drags players along with him and puts them on his shoulders mm-hmm. and he can make other players look really good I remember in the in the final series last year I thought he really had that that effect and it's it's appearing as though he's doing the same sort of thing now. He's he's elevating the performance, similarly to how LeBron James does. And what you're alluding to there is that he makes other players play better, mm-hmm. and he can he can lift their standard, um, you know, by, by, by through his leadership and he's just his freakish ability as well. Yeah. Um, another one I want to talk about. So Tom Lynch had one of those games where he did so much well. Was one of the best players I thought on the ground, but then. He just does that, you know, needs Dougal Howard in the shoulder or wherever it was. Mm. And it's not a suspendable offence, but it's, it just puts the pressure on him. You know, people take notice and then, you know, the media gets on it again. So he keeps putting himself in these positions. So I want to talk about how good he was, but you can't ignore the fact that he 
what he did to Dougal Howard, and then, you know now he gets a fine. And I think if he get does he, if he gets one more, is he out? Probably, yeah. I think is that, he, they've added up this year. Yeah, and, and and I think Damien Hard would certainly be having a word to him this week about it. There, there's absolutely no need to be pushing the boundaries and the limits at this time of the season because you just cannot afford to do one dumb, silly thing out there because the cameras are on you. They're going to be on him all game. If he does one silly thing, it'll get caught and it'll get scrutinised and and he does not want to miss a preliminary final or a grand final, you know, for, for such a stupid action. So And, th- and that wasn't worth getting rubbed out for, mm-hmm. but he's, it's when he's, they, it's he's, when they add up. he's treading in the, in the wrong waters if yeah. he's doing that stuff. And it's... It's annoying to watch because it wasn't as if Dougal Howard was shutting him down. Tom Lynch had the wood over Howard pretty easily. Had seven yeah. shots on goal, as you said. Didn't kick straight, but kicked two five in the end. Had 17 disposals, six marks, um, two of which were contested. So, you know, and as a key forward, he did everything that you want. So never got outmarked. Always brought the ball to ground, um, which then meant guys like Shea Bolton, Mm. Reap the rewards and, and you know hit the scoreboard hard. So for everything that a key forward needs to do, I think Tom Lynch did it on uh, Friday night. Yeah, he's a big inclusion at the right time of the year as well, and such a dangerous player. And he he can he's the sort of player that can again in a similar effect to, to what Martin does. He can win you a big game off the back of you know a couple of big strong contested marks or you know ripping a game apart in a quarter. He's got that capability and. He is one of the reasons why the Tigers are, you know, as good a chance as any now in the last couple of weeks of the year. So if you look to St Kilda, um, bit a positive season in my eyes. That's no, a mean, tick, yeah, it's a massive big tick. Season. And yep. I think when we spoke about it last week on the podcast, when you get all these recruits in, there's that pressure where you have to um, deliver straight away. And then for Brett Ratton, that makes it hard on him because he's a first year coach at St Kilda and. Um, so it puts pressure on him to, to get the job done as well and get this group to gel together. But they really have made a semi-final and um, with a still a relatively young list that can only grow in the, in the next few years, I'm assuming. No doubt. They've had one less scoring shot than Richmond on the weekend. Like Whether or not they would have won if they confer- converted more, well, who knows? But you know they certainly would have maybe put themselves into the game a touch more. And um, yeah, like you're saying, it's, it's certainly a tick for the season. Um, but but they're still a way off being a premiership contender in my mm. eyes. There's, there's still quite a few holes that they need to fill um, to, to to rise to that next level. At the moment, I, I you know they're they're one of the better sides out of those so- teams that sort of battle between tenth and fourth. Um, but but I still think there's they've got a way to go to 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 jump up um, into that next bracket. And, and yeah, what's what's um, what's goal number one for them? in the off-season that they need to fill to be able to take a step forward next year, whether that's make a prelim or something along those lines. Well, in my opinion, the player that could most help St Kilda is on the market right now, and that's Brad Crouch. I, yep. th- I think he would be an ideal fit for St Kilda because I think they miss uh, a real star class inside player. Mm-hmm. I know they've got Steele in the middle and, and Hanabry was brought in, although he hasn't had the impact that, you know, he was having at the Swans. I think Crouch w- would add so much to that midfield and then also free up the other guys around him um, to play the way that they want to play. And I think he, he, got, he could almost be the... He can be the guy in the middle of the park that you build your team around. You need that star centre player that, that is, is crashing in from the first bounce to the last and can win 30 disposals every single week um, and make the guys on the outside like Brad Hill and, and the likes better players. So I, I think Crouch, I don't know why he ha- his name hasn't been floated o- a lot with the Saints this offseason. He was last year heavily linked with them. But but if I was St Kilda's recruiting manager, I would make him goal number one and make room for him in the salary cap because he's the sort of player that can propel them into that next bracket. And I think... I do not like that point because I think Crouch also has that ability to go outside. So if you if yep, you get the ball correct. in on the outside, can deliver it well. Yep. Um, doesn't have any great speed or anything along those lines, but can do inside and outside if you need. Yep. And I think with Jack Steele having the season he had, you can only imagine he's going to be getting more attention next year. Yep. Sort of similar to like Paddy Cripps. You know, had his amazing season last year and then this year, probably a bit of extra attention than usual um, and didn't quite have as good a year. So... I think one is support for Jack Steele to take the load off him a little bit, um, but also to to lift the Saints as well, I think. The issue with Crouch is now that he's suspended for the first two weeks of the season, how much of an impact that has on 
a recruiting strategy or or the thought you know the thought process of a football manager. Uh, you'd like to think that they've got a longer term view than that, um, but it's not going to work in his favour. Uh, the, the fact that he's going to miss the first two games of the season and the fact that he's obviously come under the microscope for the wrong reasons. But um, the only way you can you can turn that around is by playing good football, and and and, and people will for, soon forget those mistakes. Um, so whether he stays at Adelaide or goes elsewhere, um, he's going to be a very good player for the team that he's he's suited up for next season. He just won't be there in rounds one and two. Good footy fixes all problems, Correct. Matty, as you as you know, uh, especially if you're a, in a team sense as well. As soon as you start playing good footy, um, everything that has gone wrong previously is quick, pretty quickly uh, forgotten. Um, what did you what, make? What did you make of the arc, by the way, on the weekend? The mistake. Yeah. So. <laughs> It just seemed clear to me that he didn't touch it. And I'm not sure... Is it because it was blurry that they said it was inconclusive? That's that's the only only thing I can imagine is the reason why they said it was inconclusive, to not overturn it. I I tend to feel as though the the argument with the conclusive versus inconclusive is a little bit of a cop-out. I mean, Mm -hmm. anyone who was watching that footage... I mean, what is conclusive? How how far along the stick mm. is it? Ninety percent? Is it ninety five? Is it one hundred percent? Can you ever be one hundred percent certain? Mm. That I mean, it was so obvious that he didn't touch the football. Yeah. Um, I just find that that whole inconclusive versus conclusive thing a real cop out. And in a game like that, you know, if that's in a grand final, that's oh, I mean, it's already bad enough being in a semi final. But I'd hate to think that. You know, has a real impact on the scoreboard in a, you know the closing minutes of a grand final. It would be a terrible look, and that's what that's what the arc is in there to do is to avoid instances like the 09 grand final and Tom Hawkins hitting the post with that goal. Like that, do you remember that that yeah. kick? So yeah. like it's it's in there to to miss to not allow this to happen again. But then it's happened anyway because of the whole inconclusive inconclusive argument. It's a bit like the ball tracking um, in cricket. Yep. So more than half the ball has to be hitting the wickets for it to be overturned and given out. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is if 48% of the ball is hitting the wickets, well, why is that not good enough to be given out? Like it's, <laughs> it's clearly going to hit the wickets. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit the same with Ark. Like mm-hmm. In this case, it's probably 95% sure that he hasn't touched it or even greater. Yeah. So you know, can't we actually play the percentages when it's so you know, almost certain? I, yeah. I don't yeah, that's that's my view. It's you're more likely to be right than wrong if you overturn that. Yeah, yeah. Even though correct. it's not necessarily conclusive. Yeah. So, I, I think sometimes they just need to play the percentages when they're so high. The only people that weren't going to agree with it if it was overturned are the Nuffy Richmond supporters. <laughs> they can't seem to take the the Richmond goggles off. But um, I will say, um, Nick Boston's my favourite player. So I'm just imagining that it's it's skimmed his hand because he was so adamant that he, he touched was. it yeah. which um maybe that's just his competitor like you know put the act on a little bit to say that he did touched it but yeah i just can't imagine him just not touching the ball he's usually that's usually his best weapon the fist <laughs> yes. that's usually what he's uh, what he's best fist. at so um but it's yeah a, it, it, it looked clear as day that it, it wasn't touched it is an interesting one because i always wonder whether the umpires Initially, as soon as the action happens and, 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 and in the moment they look at the player to see whether they've got an immediate response and whether they think they've touched it straight away yep. or whether they wait for the umpire to make a decision or, or, or move in a certain way to, to, to initiate a decision. Yep. Um, I don't think they should take into account the reaction of a player and they should always trust their own judgment. But it is a funny one because sometimes you you can as a, and as a, as an observer get a pretty good indication whether the player has or hasn't touched it. I reckon they definitely should because I can't remember. You reckon the umpires should watch the player? Yeah, I think it should definitely. If okay. you if yeah. you say if you're the field umpire, I reckon it should be his job just to observe the guy around that contest just for the next three seconds and see his body language because um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was last it was the first week of finals and a player had. Uh, it looked sort of half touched, and the player just slumped because he knew he hadn't touched it, and it was a goal. So he was disappointed. Yeah. And the Joe Watson and the commentators mentioned it and said the umpires just got to look at this bloke's um, body language, and you can tell that he hasn't touched it. So the only th- there's some instances where they'll do that, but there's obviously some where they they're flat out lying, trying to get the 
umpire's call. The only issue with that is where I think it, it can cause a bit of trouble is when you've got that diving smother yep. and a player thinks that – because they've felt something on their hands and they're, you know, they're diving at the ball and they, they feel contact with their hands – but how can they be certain that it's not the boot and yep. in, you know it's that it is the ball? Because immediately they're going to feel something and they're going to go touch and they're going to put their hand up in the yeah, air. True. And if the umpire's watching the player and they're not trusting their judgment on whether or not it was actually touched, well then you might not necessarily get the right decision. So yep. I think you just got to be a little bit careful with it and maybe just play it on its merits each case. But I, I mean, we're getting a little bit technical with it all, but you just hope more often than not the arc actually helps get the decision you know correct more correct than yeah. it was yeah um it's disappointing what happens in a semi so you just fingers crossed now it doesn't happen in a prelim or a grand final and i'm no doubt in one of these clo- i'm imagining they're gonna be close prelims so you don't want something like that to yeah affect the game you don't but you know the, the reality is whether it happens this year or next year or the year after if the arc's still at this point and, and it's still we've got the te- same level of technology we don't seem to it doesn't seem to be advancing all that quickly yeah. uh you know compared to probably other sports around the world but you know it, the reality is it probably will have an impact on a game at some yeah. point sooner or later unless they do something about it to to make it you know a stronger technology whether you bring hotspot in or something like that on a finger i don't know but yeah, they just somehow get some clearer images because they're just not clear. They enough. are always just, very I, I blurring, aren't they? I can't get it through my head how there's not a, a clearer image. No, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, it makes no sense to me. It's it's like low definition. <laughs> yeah, correct. <laughs> it's supposed to be there's high. Some, there's some like seriously good cameras going around these days, and I just think there should be better than that. Um, <laughs> speaking of disappointing, so Geelong and Collingwood was uh, that was a deflating game to watch as a football supporter. Deflating game, there's no doubt about that because it was all over. I mean, you talk about the Richmond St Kilda game, but that appeared to be all over. But at least the Saints kept coming. Collingwood didn't give a yelp on the weekend. Mm. Kind of predictable, really, in hindsight. And and I, it's funny, when we chatted last week, I was sort of on the fence. But then it got to the end of the week and, gee, I'm going to sound like a post-race expert (laughs) here, but but I really did feel like Geelong were going to be too good because I just the more I thought about it all week, I thought, gee, they're going to come back from Perth. They've quarantined for a week. They're going to make that trip back, reset. They're coming up against Geelong, who are going to be fresh. They haven't moved. Um, oh, it was just it was all the favours for Geelong, and it was a little bit the same as that Collingwood had to be in the game early. Otherwise, it was going to be a bloodbath, and and it was. We don't usually see finals like that in terms of a, a blowout on the scoreboard. No, um, but they made a real statement, Geelong. They, they made a real statement. Yeah, I mean, any time you're keeping a, a team to one goal through three quarters... Um, Incredible, wasn't it? Yeah, it is amazing. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before. So that Geelong... Uh, sorry, Collingwood were, yeah, one one seven at three-quarter time. Well, you know, at halftime, they only had the one scoring shot, and that's the second time in their history that they'd only had one or fewer scoring shots. That's in, what, and 150 years just, of football? And I'm imagining the first time was... Way back, yeah, early nineteen hundreds yeah. type type it was area. Extremely low scoring. That's yeah. a, I think that's an incredible statistic. No, it is. That's not just finals. That's any game mm-hmm. that Collingwood's ever played in. One scoring shot at halftime. Yep. Second time in the history. And incredible. Geelong. It's not just the the scoreboard and watching it with your eyes, but the stats are unbelievable. So one hundred and fifty eight more disposals, one hundred and eight more kicks, sixteen more inside fifties. They went at eighty percent disposal efficiency for the game as a team, which is unbelievable. Um, 57% efficiency inside 50, 13 more clearances, one contested possession by 22, uncontested by 142, 88 more marks, 12 more marks inside 50, and six more contested marks. Complete domination, and it started, started in the middle of the ground. They, they, mm. they, their midfield absolutely dominated Collingwood's. They, mm. didn't get, they didn't actually let them get the football. That was the thing. Yep. They, they got the football in their own hands and they didn't give it back. Yep. And, and they actually did it in a fashion where they were able to move the ball pretty fast. You look Which is the, what we spoke about last yep. week. We said Geelong have the talent to be able to just get that more ball moving and make the most of, their, of the forward, that they've, forward line that they've got. And it worked. And what did they go at? 80% efficiency. Well, I mean, yep. if you're going to win the football and use it that well... It's very, very unlikely you're going to lose the game yep. unless you kick zero goals 20. Correct. Um, it, they had the top six disposal getters on the ground. Um, Trelaw, who usually racks it up, had 18 disposals. Adams had 17. They, they just could not get the footy in their hands, Collingwood, yeah. especially in the first half. And um, 
it, it was as dominant a performance from Geelong as I've seen probably yep. probably since their game against Brisbane early in the, in the season, ironically, yep. where they were exceptional that night, particularly in the midfield. So um, that sets up a fascinating prelim. Um, and it's not often that you see – so Collingwood usually, it's that midfield group that are, they're always good – um, the back line's usually pretty solid, and then the forward line's where they fall apart. You know, when you've got Brady Grundy, Scott Penderbury, Taylor Adams, Adam Chalor running around in the midfield, there's not going to be many nights when you're beaten. But they were soundly, soundly beaten. What's happened to Brody Grundy? Group. I yeah, it's because so it's not as he's if, not the same player. It's that not he as was if he's had a year. bad year. I wouldn't say he's had a, like a bad year, but when you compare to his lofty standards, it's been a drop off and no. pretty. A significant oh, one of that. I mean, he was in the conversation last year as being one of the probably best players in the comp. Mm-hmm. He was a, he was certainly a top five player. Him, him and Max Gorn were toe and toe for the best ruckman, and both of them were, were outstanding mm-hmm. ruckman. But Brody Grundy's had a, a, a B, B-plus sort of year. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know whether he's carrying something mm-hmm. or he's just not having the influence on the games that he should be and um, they're not using him correctly. The, the players around him aren't reading him as well, but... If they're going to be that premiership side that we probably all thought that they were at the start of the season, then he needs to recapture that form of last season and you, the year before and the years before that. Do you believe in in Bucks's um, analysis of it that he's just tired from sort of overuse almost, and that sort of um, yeah, you know, he's been the ruckman for what sort of four years now, and then he's their main guy. Do, do you? Believe in what Bucks is saying there. Oh, I mean, if he's saying that after they've lost in a final, well, why didn't they? Ma- why why didn't they manage him better? In, mm. You know, in the back end of the season and and give him more help and, and support. Why, why why set him up to fail then? Yeah. Really, I mean, if you know what the problem is straight after the game in a losing final, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, so I think they sort of realised that during the year, and that's why they brought in Darcy Cameron more often than not when they could. So he, he came in late in the year to try to get that chop out. But then, you know, how often can you not have Brady Grundy in them? It's almost like how long can LeBron James be resting on the bench because you need him on the floor sort of thing. And, you know, Jimmy Butler today with the heat, I mean, these finals, he's played nearly 48 minutes in every game. So it's like how long can you leave these good players out of their spots? I suppose. But if it's as simple as him being tired or overused, like, is that is that because he's not fit enough, or mm. is uh, someone you got to take you got to take responsibility at some point, whether it's yep. the coaching staff or whether it's the individual themselves, mm. um, and it sort of seems like he's deflecting away from the actual problem then, because mm. every team is faced with the same problems of playing week in week out, and they're playing shortened quarters anyway as it is. I mean, it's, I know they're playing throughout the week, but didn't really seem to have a, a great deal of effect on many of the sides. You know, not, not many sides really looked. Tired or depleted or, or injury ravaged as a result, and I don't yeah. think the players have really come out and say that. So, I mean, we're probably we're talk, probably talking a little bit out of our, our league here, and only Brody would would know the answer to that. But it just seems like Buckley was deflecting it a little bit. And it's interesting because he signed that seven year deal, and when you're signing a ruckman to a seven, that's a lot of load that the ruckman's going to have to take, especially someone like Brody who plays a lot of game time. On you know, that's a lot of load on his legs, and then you've you know, he's had a poor year this year and you've got him for another... Does his contract start next year? I think it does. Possibly, yeah. Mum. So, ne- yeah. so next, the next... What, another seven? The yeah, next seven. Know, so, yeah. um, it's, it's a, a lifetime it's a, contract. It's a, it's a lot yeah. to ask of a guy who has so much load on his legs. Um, that's a big enough contract for, some, you know, a midfielder who's going to be able to play, you know, good minutes for you and for a long time. But further, you know, it's the same with Franklin. You see, eventually they break down because there's so much load... Mm. On their legs, especially guys who play lots of game time, like Brody. Yeah, but I don't know. In, in years gone by, he's ran games right out as the lone mm. ruckman and basically played as a midfielder. So um, I, I just wonder whether maybe he's carrying something and, and he, he can freshen himself up over the off season and and reassert himself as as the premier ruckman of the competition. I think the the hubs definitely have had an effect, and it's something that they probably affect everyone differently, don't they? Exactly. Yeah. So it's something that we can't ever understand i don't think because you know it as you say it affects everyone differently i feel you know some guys are probably saying this is great i'm get away from melbourne and all the noise and be with my teammates and coaches all the time like it's great but then some guys maybe like brody mm. just assuming but 
um, maybe that it affects them differently and it's more of a negative impact, you know, away from family and all those kinds of things. So mm. um, I can only imagine, you know, being in a hotel room for that long, I can't imagine I'd love it. And obviously they were pretty well looked after, but mm. I think it's definitely had the impact yeah, on and, clubs as yeah. a whole and players individually. And, and certainly, you know, every individual deals with their life situations differently, you know, without knowing Brody, I, I can tell he's a bit of a free spirit and he probably doesn't like being locked up in a hub and, and, and not being able to, to move around and do what he wants all the time and um, live the life that he wants to. But whether or not that's affecting his football, I've got no idea. I'll tell you what though, in 2018 at the end of the season, there was no more hotter a prospect in, in football than Jordan Dugowie. And he signed yep. a two-year deal with the Pies to stay put, big money, and, and and he knocked back, you know, huge money at North Melbourne. Well, in the space of two years, his value has declined and he isn't the player that we thought he was going to be. He's still a, he's still a dangerous player. But I'd, I, what do you think? Do you think a club should offer him a big deal on big money and, and poach him away from Collingwood? Or is well, he not worth that? So we all know that when you want to um, – snag someone from another club you have to pay overs mm. that's always going to happen so um whatever you think to go is worth add an extra 200k 300k onto it because that's just what you have to do to get these players out of another club um i mean i personally know or just i'm purely on form and especially in the last two years if you were going to pick him if you're going to try and trade him off of 2018 grand final form you'd be saying throw the kitchen sink at him um but yeah, I don't. I can't. It's. I can't imagine. You know, say if Carlton picked him and tr- traded for him, I can't imagine his teammates would be saying, "I'm glad we're spending that much money on this guy." Well, that's half the issue, isn't it? Because the clubs that can afford to get him are the ones that probably either don't need him or shouldn't be getting him. Because if I look at okay, let's say North Melbourne, who have had a mass list exodus, they would have plenty of room in the salary cap. Mm-hmm. They're already trying to get a number of players into the football club they would be borderline stupid to go after a player like Jordan Dugowie because he won't be able to get the best out of himself, you know, at a club like that yep. where he's going to have limited entries. He's going to – he's basically probably going to have to play in the midfield if he wants to become a star of the competition, really. Yep. I can't I can't see him fitting into a North Melbourne forward line and, and being a superstar. He would mm-hmm. need to go to a club that's already succeeding, got, good, got, got a good culture, mm-hmm. um, you know, good players around him. Uh, but they're the clubs that don't have the room in the salary cap. So – He's at an interesting position of his football life right now, and I've, so, oh, with all with everything in sports, it's always sort of you know look at the stats, but then there's the eye test as well. So stats wise, he's an ordinary player, like just a normal uh, yep. player. There's nothing exceptional about anything on the stat sheet yep. from Jordan Ngoi. With the eye test, he's obviously has flashes here and there, and you're like, man, this is the next Dusty, as we've all heard, but it, it's never happened. Um, so. I'm in agreement with you that yeah I don't I can yeah I can understand why clubs are going to do it because especially in like North Melbourne they need to get themselves on the map again almost and sort of make a splash or something but I just wouldn't be doing it personally because it's a lot of money to be spending on someone who's going to average twelve touches and a goal a game I think two years ago as well he was being compared it was, just, it was the same argument then though it was the same argument of no doubt no there's there's no statistical evidence to show no. why you should be offering him this money no you're right. He was being is often compared with Christian Petrarca at the time. I think they're in the same draft. I, I, if they weren't the same oh, draft, he might have been weren't. the one after anyway. Um, and probably at the time, a lot of people thought that Dugowie had more upside because Petrarca was the one doing the teasing and didn't, you know, wasn't, again, wasn't having the greatest, didn't look amazing on the stat sheet. But what Christian Petrarca did is he went away and he worked on his deficiencies. He got himself leaner and he got himself in a position where he could go into the midfield and play long minutes in the middle of the ground. Um, and he became a beast of the competition. And Dugowie's got the same sort of ability as Petrarca, but does he have the discipline to be able to go away in an off-season and apply himself and come back at the start of a, of a football season as a as a reinvigorated, um, revolutionised footballer that can do more on the park? I don't know. That's that's He's got to be able to go away and, and apply himself and do that. I just don't know whether he's capable of it. And if you look, if you compare those two again, look at their just their bodies in general. And Petrarca looks almost like the guy that should be struggling with his fitness and midfield minutes. Dugowie looks like he's the leaner sort of, you know, fitter one of the two. But yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, coaching and Bucks just isn't putting him in there for long periods or 
you know, if it's choice, whether Jordan to go likes to stay forward more often. But um, I think half the battle, or what you want from these guys and what Petrarca was able to do is play long midfield minutes and then go forward and be effective. Mm. So, um, you know, I can, I can imagine it's hard to play big midfield minutes then go forward and you're tired and then all of a sudden you're leading and you're having shots on goal and, you know, you're fatigued. So that's half the battle. And I'm not, yeah, not sure if Digoe... Well, he hasn't proven it yet, so well, I mean, we can't say that he can do it. You asked the question whether or not Bucks would like to have him in the midfield or he wants to keep him as a forward. As we learnt on Saturday night, games are won and lost in the middle of the ground. Mm-hmm. So if you've got the calibre of players to win you a game in the middle of the ground, you play them there. So clearly he's not in a position to be able to play long minutes in the midfield at the moment. So that, that, that's, you know, that answers that question. Well, and that's so, what so we've if, seen. He wants to, if he wants to become an elite player and... and, and and spend more time in the middle of the ground. I'd say there's only one way that he's going to be able to do that, and that's by going away and and running himself into the ground in the off season. Yeah, and you see that from um, the guys that are the best at it. So Dangerfield, Dusty, um, they'll be four, and then as soon as the, you can feel the the game sw- switch and and the other teams getting on top, straight back in the midfield because that's. If you're not winning the footy in there and you're not being effective out of the middle, then there's no point having these guys forward. So well, that's right. I mean, Dangerfield started forward on the weekend. And it wasn't he didn't last long. They put him straight back into the middle of the ground, and yep. he had his greatest influence when he was there. He actually kicked his four goals basically as a midfielder. So. Correct. Um, so yeah, to go, it'll be interesting to watch because some of these deals that get made in the AFL, you know, as a as a fan, you're kind of thinking that's way overs but it's just what happens so it'll be interesting to see because I, I know he he's spoken openly about how much he loves it there and um he's, he's a guy that i feel has gotten a lot out of himself because you're in a good situation you're in a good environment or surrounded by guys like pendlebury and buckley so they're good people to be around mm. i can't imagine going to north melbourne at the moment isn't a great idea career-wise considering what they're all going through um as a club Mm, no, totally agree. Um, we'll move to the to the prelims. So um, Friday night is one of the one of the biggest prelims um, in recent memory for me in terms of um, you know the two teams that are playing in Richmond and Port Adelaide. You know it's at Adelaide Oval. Port fans are um, you know they love watching their team play and they're vocal and they're loud and it's intimidating. Like that that qualifying final against Geelong that was. I can imagine as a Geelong player, that, that's intimidating to, to be a part of. Yep, there's no doubt about that. I, I reckon Richmond are probably as good a side at being able to block that out, um, probably due to their finals experience over the last couple of years. But the reality for Richmond coming up on Friday night is that when they met Port Adelaide in the middle of the season, it was, it was one of the games of the year. It was, you know, to watch visually on the television. It was a goal feast, especially in the first half. It was open. It was played on the outside. Um, or, sorry, it was one in the middle, but it was played on the outside because the ball was just moving from end to end. It was pinging up and down. The pressure gauge was through the roof. If Richmond are going to win on Friday night, the game can't be played like that because Port Adelaide will smash them. It's fascinating because when they did meet that night, Ollie Wines had 20 contested possessions and Travis Boak had 14. So they they were absolute bulls at the coalface and they went in and got the football. And it's not surprising. I mean, Port Adelaide are probably the toughest team in the competition right now. They are as hard as a cat's head. And, and they those blokes went in and won the football and then the guys around them, they just they were able to feed off because they got first use and, yeah. they, and they ran all day. Richmond have to find a way to be able to combat that. And the interesting thing is they don't really have the players that can go, right, I'm going to beat Ollie Wines to the football. I'm going to beat Travis Boak to the football. I'm going to beat Sam Pepper to the football first. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be fascinating to see how Damien Hardwick goes about setting up his side to combat the fact that the power will probably go in and win the football first. And it's, it's such a contrasting um, game of style. So as you say, Porter... Aggressive in the midfield, win the footy, first use, and Richmond aren't renowned for that, so they like to win it back and then slingshot from the back line. So, I mean, if you're Richmond, you, while you want to stay to your natural game, you don't want to give Port all that free use in the midfield because they've shown and they've done it to Richmond already how effective they can be using the ball going forward. And when you've got Charlie Dixon down there, I mean, that's just an extra bit of motivation to go and get the footy and get it down there quick because then... You know that once it's in there, it's usually going to stick around in there for a while for at least a scoring shot of some sort. Yep. What I would do if I was Damien Hardwick is I would I'd nearly get the guys, the, the players, to watch the grand final from last year and the way that they went about 
the contest, particularly in the first half. Yep. And the way that they chased and they tackled and their pressure was enormous. Mm-hmm. As similar to how it was in the preliminary final the year before against the Giants and the grand final the year before that against, sorry, um, going back two years in that yep. grand final against Adelaide. Mm-hmm. In that big game, they were just relentless with their tackling and their pressure. And, and that's exactly what they've got to do. They've got to, they've got to put pressure on Wines and Boak when they get the football in their hands to limit you know, their disposal and their efficiency when they try and get it on the outside. I think it's even more important because if, you, if Port started to get on top in the midfield, the crowd's going to get into it and it's so hard to stop a freight train like that, especially when the crowd's up and going. I mean, I'll compare it to a, a local footy game. If we're playing down at Dali and Dali get on top, and the crowd starts to get going, it's intimidating and it's loud and you sort of feel like, how are we possibly going to get this done when, you know, they feel like they're so on top? Yep. Even though the even though the scoreboard might not quite be there yet, you sort of feel half defeated anyway because you feel like it's going to be an onslaught of sort of goals and pressure yep. coming up. So I think that's the most important thing is shut it down in the midfield so then it shuts up. Yep. The crowd around you as well. I think that's exactly what Richard will be doing. I reckon they'll be trying to stifle that Port Adelaide aggression and, and free-flowing ball movement once they do get on the outside. I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair mm-hmm. on Friday night because I think that that's the way that Richmond will want the game to be played. And if they can get it on their terms, that's how it will be played. So, um, do, you, yeah. do you think... So Richmond, especially this year, have made the, the name for themselves as being overly aggressive. Do you feel like they should... While being hard at the footy and doing all the good things aggressively, they should steer clear of the other stuff because I feel like Port are going to come out and be in your face, ready to sort of go at go at the game that way. But if Richmond sort of steer clear, do you feel like I feel like if they can do that, then they've they've taken Port's focus off the, off the game itself, and then they can sort of get on top from there. Do you sort of oh, see that as a good idea? They've won two out of the last three premierships. They've this is their fourth preliminary final in a row. They know exactly what they've got to do mentally in this game and that's not get sucked into that stuff and and play the like you sort of said the you know the the side games that happen in a, in a big final like this they'll be very focused on the job at hand and, and that's where they can use their experience and put it into the right um you know you know put their energies into the right things um and they'll have to draw on that and they've got the players to do it they've, they've been there and they've done this before so they know what's required um, but, you know, on the other hand, you've got a young side like Port Adelaide and that's the sort of situation that Richmond were in a couple of years ago and they played on that same energy and crowd, um, you know, the impact that the crowd had back then three years mm-hmm. ago, like we sort of spoke about in that preliminary final. That's the similar sort of situation that Port will get on Friday night with their crowd mm-hmm. that could could lift them over the line as well. Um, tip, who, who do you see winning? I'm going Richmond. Richmond, yep. Yep. I'm, I'm pretty... Yeah, I'm not certain, but I'm 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 pretty confident, confident. in the Tigers. Yeah, yep. liking you even more now, Maddie. Um, <laughs> now, I just think the experience um, has to play a part. I think they're like I sort of said at the start of the podcast, they're peaking at the right time. This is the best football that they've probably played. Oh, they they weren't that bad against Brisbane, and they're playing really good football at the right time of the season. Um. Yeah, you'll know not. You'll know a lot in the first quarter. Again, similarly to how to, what unfolded against the Saints. I think, as you said about they didn't play terrible against Brisbane. I think that you can say that about. Um. So we'll move on to the next game about Geelong as well. So I don't. I don't think either qualifying final. I don't think either losing team played badly. Um. So that's why I, I'm almost leaning towards. Tipping Geelong as well because I just don't think they played that badly against Port Adelaide and you know Port was just really good that night so um, which is why I'm excited because I think the prelims going to be really oh, really good. They're both absolutely mouth watering. I'm hopeful Brisbane win because I've got a little futures bet on them mm-hmm. at the start of the finals so they'll get my support. But if you know if I take my heart out of it. If I'm tipping with my head this week, and I would be tipping Geelong mm-hmm. because of the statement that they made on Saturday night against Collingwood, and the fact that I think they're just a really complete team, and that they're ready to win a big final like this and put themselves into a grand final with the likes of Dangerfield and Selwood and Ablett and Hawkins. That's a really good group of leaders yep. that are playing really good football as well. So we saw in during the year um, Geelong. So Brisbane had that quick start against Geelong, but then. 
it was this the experience of Geelong just took over yep. the game and completely shut Brisbane down. Like, yep. all scoring shut down, um, just general gameplay. Brisbane sort of stood no chance. Um, so Richmond used to do uh, did the same thing to Brisbane during the year, and Brisbane obviously learned from that and and took Richmond's punches, but gave a few punches back. Um, do you see the same thing happening here, or are you? Do you think Geelong's going to have that? Because we've seen Geelong, they can strangle teams. Mm. Just strangle them and give them no air whatsoever. Um, do you see the, do it, the same thing happening again? I do, because I think if they can own the midfield like they did on Saturday night, um, then then they can have that same effect. If they can nullify Neil somewhat, um, I mean, he, he didn't have a touch at quarter time in that first final, but then he went bananas after that. Um, if they can nullify Neil and you can shut him down at the coalface, then your other... Midfielders can get on top. It would take a pretty special performance from one of the Lions players to stand up and 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 you know almost assert, take the mantle off Lockie and say, "Come with me." So, mm. yeah, fascinating game. I, I I probably just have a slight leaning towards Geelong. Yeah, yeah. I feel the the game will be won and lost at one end. So I think if Brisbane's forwards can find a way to get on top, I'll take Brisbane. But I've I'm leaning towards Geelong is going to their back line um, is going to be able to shut down shut down Brisbane. I think they've got enough guys that can play pure lockdown roles on Geelong on Brisbane's main forward options, um, and then you've got guys like Tom Stewart that can rebound. And as a team, they just defend really well. Um, you know, if any team's going to after a team can hold a, you know an opposition to one goal through three quarters, I'm going to lean towards them. You know. Taking yeah. the chocolates on the night. And, and it could also be a case of, you know, we're, we're overcomplicating it and that it could be a very even battle and all it comes down to is the X-Factor players up forward mm-hmm. having a greater impact. And, you know, you look at the likes of Charlie Cameron or Eric Hipwood or even McStay or someone like that, you know, having a real impact and, and bobbing up and kicking three or or down the other end it's Ablett and Rowan and, mm-hmm. and the support acts to Hawkins that, that have a blinder. That could be the difference. It could be there could be so little between these sides that it's the you know, it's those players inside fifty capitalizing on this, you know, their little half chances that win them the game on, on Saturday night. Yeah, you're spot on. Um so you tipping Geelong? I am. I uh, I'm reluctant because I want Brisbane to win and I and I, I thought that they could win the premiership, but it's just a matchup thing for me. And I, I just think that the matchup favours Geelong slightly off what I saw earlier in the season. I think they'll know what they need to do to win. Um, and they're, they're really well placed. They've got a great side with, with not many holes. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm tipping a Richmond Geelong grand final, which if it went that way, I mean, any of these matchups in a grand final would be outstanding and yep. it would be an exceptional grand final. But I think Richmond and Geelong would be. Oh, they're, they're two huge clubs. That, that, yep. that would be a massive final. The tough of the battle um, is getting a nice finals draw. So, you know, if you – Brisbane could be the, the premiership favourite, but if you just fall into that – playing that team that sort of matches up well with you, that can just be – that can be the thing that gets you. So I think um, I think Geelong is that team for Brisbane. And Brisbane have won how many in a row at the over this year? 15. Oh, they played a lot of footy there. Know. So they drew for a loss is my... Is my um, <laughs> well, you won closer to the loss. On it. Yeah, so yeah. Um, Richmond had that 15-game winning streak against Brisbane mm. before the qualifying, and I sort of pre-game was thinking they're due for a loss eventually. You can't, you know, win that many in a row, yeah. usually in professional sports. So right. um, anyways, we'll wait and see. Um, trade talk. Yep. Plenty happening. Um, what do you make of the Joe Danaher to Brisbane... Uh, talk Well I, I actually do Probably concur With those who Who feel like McStay Would, would be I guess Annoyed with it Because mm-hmm. it, How are you going to Fit them all in And they, they can sell it Whichever way they like You can't fit them all in You literally no. can't play That many tools Inside 50 But at the same time If you're Brisbane And Joe Danaher Wants to move to your football club Well you move heaven and earth To get him Because mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a Superstar of the competition, and although he's got his problems and his deficiencies when he's kicking for goal, he's he's got the potential, and you know certainly the capabilities of being a top ten player in the league, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. So whichever club you know he chooses, and he's obviously chosen Brisbane, you go and get him. Yeah, and unfortunately that might mean that it squeezes out you know someone like a McStay. But um, if you know, you yeah. McStay, you can't help but think about it. Is the problem so? I feel like probably yeah. So Brisbane have a obviously have a great culture and Chris Fagan's great for the club. So I'm sure he's been able to help McStay through it. But 
human nature, you're naturally going to be thinking that's not great for me career-wise, the mm. fact that we've already got two genuine key forward size players and now you're going to have a third one who can basically only play forward. So, oh yeah, you can't help but not think about it if you stay. Yeah. I think the only thing is Brisbane's still got to land him. You know, the chips, yep. everything's still got to fall into place and we've seen it doesn't always play out the way that we think it will or even the player hopes it will in trade week um, and, and during the free agency period. But, yeah, I think it would play on his mind whether it impacts his performance. Well... We'll find out, I guess. Yeah. Do you are you not annoyed, but do you, do you read into much about how Danaher wanted to go to Sydney last year and now he wants to leave again, but wants to go to Brisbane? Do you not really? Because I think last year he obviously wanted to go to Sydney, and in the space of twelve months, the Lions have become almost the the most attractive place to play football in the competition, and mm. he's out of contract and he wants to move, and he's all of a sudden, you know, in the space of twelve months, gone. I wanted to move to Sydney, but you didn't want to trade me at that point then. So here we are in 12 months down the track and I want to go somewhere else. Yeah. He's well entitled to that that view. I, I actually, I wouldn't, I wouldn't knock him at all for having that opinion. If I was a player, you know, looking for a new home right now, I would absolutely be looking to go to Brisbane. Do you know what though? The funny thing is Sydney wouldn't be far behind no. from a lifestyle perspective and from the point of view that they've got an incredibly good young list. Mm-hmm. But I think probably Joe's thinking that the lines are in the window right now, whereas the, the Swans might be three or four years down the track. Yeah. So I can actually understand why you, why we'd think that way. Yeah, I think on, purely on-field-wise, it obviously makes the most sense. Um, and a lot can change in 12 months. A lot can change in, you know, your own personal lot and your life and your personal stuff and, um, you know, where you want to live. Like 12 months is a long time. So I'm not too harsh on Joe for wanting to... To go to, to go to Brisbane. These footballers don't owe their clubs anything. If like a lot of supporters will get annoyed about that, and you know, as a Melbourne supporter, when Tom Scully left after two years, I was you know annoyed at that at time, I guess. But but they don't owe anything to the football club, and you're going to get compensated in some way, mm. you know, in the, in the other way around, and and you're going to get players, you know, in free agency and trade periods as well as a supporter of a football club. So. You can't you can't begrudge a guy if he wants to leave and move somewhere else, whether it be for more money f- to to live a better life or to get a new fresh start somewhere. Yeah, um, they're all entitled to that. Mm. And the vice versa, the club isn't going to be made to feel guilty if they delist you or if they put you in a trade. Correct. So um, you can't expect the players to be thinking about the club uh, in trade it's time. It's a business. Uh, it, and, it is and business. Whether people like it or not, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one thing I want to float by you, so. We see a lot in the AFL that when a player gets traded, say if it's a Dylan Shield, so traded for two first-round picks, should should clubs be more aggressive and say, we want a player? Give us a, not to the same calibre, because that's never going to work, but you know, give us some picks and a player that can help us now as well. Because So for the, the Giants getting those two first-round picks, that's great, but they're a club that needs players and you know are in the premiership window now. So they don't... Their two first-round picks aren't helpful for them now. I mean, it's great for down the line. You might get some players out of it eventually. But, you know, you see in the NBA a lot more of, well, there's, there's players involved in this deal. You've got to – for Anthony Davis, right? So the Lakers have to give up four of their best young players because the Pelicans are like, well, fuck your picks. We need guys to, to help us and rejuvenate us now. Do you – do you think clubs should be more aggressive in getting players? I think they'd like to be. But I think the issue in the AFL is – that it's just easier to move picks. It's not as easy to move players. So mm. if let's use the Shield example. If he wants to go to Essen and Essen and want him, that's one part of the equation done. But to, to get the other part done, the draft pick doesn't have to agree to it, only the football club. But if mm. you're trading a player in the AFL, the player has to agree to the move as well. So Does he know, really? Yes, yes. Okay. Yes. So the, uh, the the footballer themselves. If I if I'm a if I'm a Melbourneian and I'm playing for the Demons and, and Frio want me and 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 there's a player at the fre- at the Dockers that both you know Fremantle and Melbourne want to move on, and that that part of the deal is ticked off. But it, but if I don't want to move to Fremantle, I don't have to if I'm contracted. Yeah. So whereas in the NBA, the, the players don't get that choice. Mm-hmm. Um. And so that that's why we don't see player movement in that sense in the in the pure player for player swaps. We yeah. we rarely actually ever see it. It's ninety percent. It's picks for players these days. You're right. That's because um, I remember it was such a big deal when. Ryan Burton was included in the deal to Port Adelaide for Chad Wingard. Um, and while Ryan, he, 
well, he accepted it, but he obviously didn't want to go. He liked, he loved being at Hawthorne. Um, I liked it from Port. Like, you're giving up Chad Wingard, who's one of the best and fairest. He's a two-time All-Australian at your footy club. Why would you just happily give him up for two picks? Like, give us Ryan Burton, who is a young player that can help us now and look down, you know, two, three years down the line, he's helping them now into a <coughs> preliminary final. Yeah. So, while it, while it would be harder in the AFL, I wish clubs were more aggressive in doing it and getting players involved. Yeah, I mean, one of the more high-profile ones was when Chris Judd moved to Carlton and obviously Kennedy was thrown into the deal with the pick as well, the high pick. And that's when it sort of does happen a little bit more when they're used as almost steak knives in a deal. They're, the draft pick's the main thing that you're getting in return. But as a little bit extra, we throw in a player who's kind of on the fringe here, but he, he might be a, a regular contributor at your side. He'll get greater opportunities and he'll actually he'll make your team better. So it's, it's a win-win for both clubs, but it rarely ever falls into place that it's a straight swap. Player for player, yeah. Yeah. Um, what have you made of the Essendon debacle? I'm going to go with uh, in this trade period. So Adam Saad wants out. There's rumours of Devin Smith wanting out as well. Um, seems to be, and Joe Danaher obviously as we've spoken about, sort of seems to be falling apart a little bit at the Dons. It does. And, and you know, the interesting thing with Essendon is that a couple of years ago they went hard at players. They got Devin Smith into the football club. They got Dylan Sheil into the football club. They got Saad into the football club a couple of years ago. And and they clearly believed that they had a list that could challenge or at least they could, you know, build one in, in a couple of years. It doesn't seem to be the case. I don't see how they've progressed over the last couple of seasons. And right now they, they look to be closer to the bottom of the ladder than the top. Mm. And... I think they're at a, I think that the crossroads with their list management and they've probably got to make that decision. Do we keep going down this path of getting players into the, into the football club that are, um, that can, that can hold out, you know, that could potentially push us up or do we go the other, other way and now trade out and get draft picks and, and, and go down before we go up. Mm. Um, if you're Dylan Shield, you, you're probably hoping that they continue to press on and hope to, to push on tr- hope and, and aim for that premiership. But they don't look to be in a position to be able to do that, especially if players want out of the club. Yeah, and I think... New coach as well. New coach. Uh, yeah, so if, if the rumours are true that Devin Smith wants out, then he obviously believes that he's been, um, you know, sought after to help them win a flag and doesn't say that as the, the near future for them at the moment. So yeah. um, there's, there's some holes that need to be fixed at Essendon, I feel... You know, obviously in in the culture side, because if Adam Sard is being offered the same amount of money in the same years from Essendon as he is other clubs, mm. and he's saying no, um, then clearly there's something going wrong yep. at the club. Agree. I think he'll find his way to Carlton, it looks like, I'd say. Yeah, that takes me to my next point. Do, do Carlton need an Adam Sard, do you feel? Ah. Or do you just, when these players want to come, do you just find a way to get them there and, and figure out the rest later? I think if he's in your best 22... I think you go and get him. I think if he's going to make your side better, and I think Saad would, then you go and get them. Mm. I mean, they're on the up. They've got the right young players at their football club. They certainly look to be well coached this season. Yeah, I'd go and get Adam Saad. Yeah. It's going to have to be, because their, their back line is the one part on the ground that they seem to be pretty um, pretty sure of. So they've, they've got and they've got stocks of, of especially running halfbacks. Um, so I think there's going to have to be maybe some reshuffling of a few guys because you go and get Nick Newman um, last year and you get him into the club. You've still got Caleb Marchbank to come back, who's going to be an automatic starter in my eyes. Um, I mean, you can say it's a swap like for like with Simpson oh, leaving I- and um, and Sardine, so that sort of seems to be a like for a like. Even Zach Williams sort of... Yeah, so I feel like he's going to play more midfield. midfield that's that's all I can yeah. assume is that Probably. He had played some more midfield for the Giants this year mm. and no doubt he's probably thinking I'll get more opportunities in the midfield at Carlton. So mm. I'm going to go with that is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I prob- yeah, probably would expect him to play more midfield. And I think he's, he's exactly what Carlton need in terms of that outside run and class. So yeah. they've got they've, they've got, got Cribs, they've got Kerner. Um, they've got Walsh. Walsh and Setterfield. All those guys that can, um, they can play a bit more inside but... If you get sort of a Williams who can be that guy that can probably do a bit of both but can get outside and really use his speed and foot skills, mm. um, it's going to help them. And it's the one hole they have, Carlton, at the moment. Yeah. Um, 
I feel like they just need that out, outside run um, and the ability to break lines a bit and sort of break the game open. Yeah, That's what they need the most. Totally agree. I mean, the other big names on the market, Cameron's still up in the air. Ben Brown, you know, he's kicked a lot of goals in the last four or five years, but North Melbourne don't want him. He looks mm. like he's going to be on the way out. Seems to be that the Demons are front runners for him. And do, I think. Do, he, do you like that well, as a Demon supporter? I, I'm unsure about it because I wonder whether or not he makes you a little bit uh, vulnerable going the ball going the other way. Yep. But. I think I've watched Sam Wiedemann enough and I really like Sam Wiedemann, but he's probably a number two forward. Like he's, yep. it, just the way that he's built and the fact that I think if he was playing on a number two defender, he would he would have a greater ability to influence the match. And therefore, if Brown came into the side and could recapture that form of two years ago, then he really could make Melbourne a better side. So I think he's probably worth the punt because I don't think he'd command huge money as well. No. I don't think he's, he's, he's not... I don't think he's a, you know, a, a really high-priced recruit and there's a, a number of teams lining up to get him. So I think you could get him for an affordable price. And I, that, that's why I think if I'm Melbourne, I go and get him. Yeah, and because I, I like Wiedemann as well and he's definitely shown me glimpses this year of... Even though even, even when he's not marking the footy, he's doing what we just discussed with Tom Lynch and at least making a contest and being really aggressive. So, you know, if he can have a career of being a really good second forward that... You know, like a darling. Feel, feel the second forward like a darling and you're yeah, kicking yeah. lots of goals and um, getting that second defender and using his height and his jumping ability. Um, that's a really good career. And I think mm. Brown gives you that option because he's going to command the best defender every week. Yeah. Which is why I sort of – I wrote a piece about it. So that about you know, Collingwood could have him at, at the time. But when I wrote it, Brisbane was one that I said. I said, you know – McStay is great, but if you can get a Ben Brown in, that just you know takes all the pressure off of Eric Hipwood and lets him sort of roam around and do what he likes. So I like it for Melbourne. Yeah, I hope he's not expecting silver service though, because the likes of Brayshaw, Oliver, Petrarca, <laughs> Viney, Jones aren't exactly uh, illustrious deliverers of the football inside fifty. Mm. So they're going to need to rectify that if he wants to uh, get a few bruises on his chest. But that's probably yeah, the one I'll, knock on Ben Brown is that he. He does need, need pretty good service yeah. to, you know, at the height he is, he's not, you know, the most agile bloke you've ever is seen. A, is he as effective on the MCG, you know, with blustery conditions as he is under a roof at Etihad? Yep. Or Marvel or whatever it is called now? Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's another thing that the Demons will have to weigh up, for sure. And I, but I think he fits the age bracket for Melbourne too, so he's only 27. Oh, so, yeah. so it's not as if he's um, old or anything yet. Um, Make so no mistake, Melbourne this off-season will be, will be busy. I mean, if they'll be trying to get someone as many players into the football club that are going to make them better because they've given up their first-round draft pick this season. Last year, they brought two first-rounders in in Pickett and Jackson. They've yep. got Lever and Mayer over the last couple of years. They think they're in the window, even though they finished ninth. So and it's it, time to prove it. And it's amazing how, how much, uh, you know, two high-profile sort of recruits can catapult your team. So Richmond did it. They went from 13th to a flag by getting Dion Prestia, Josh Caddy, and then even Toby Dan Curvis as well, all in the one hit. So um, as individuals, you might say about these guys, oh, they're not going to do – they're not the guys going to save our footy club. But when you put them into the team and as a whole, it improves you quickly. So Melbourne could easily go from a ninth to a fourth. Get get another key forward and maybe another midfielder with a bit of class – um, skills. Uh, yeah, they're linked to it's Isaac a, Smith, which is a, an interesting one. I think he'd be a great get for Melbourne. I yep. think him, him on one wing and Langdon on the other. That's a handy wing. I, I, think, uh, I think he's got something to offer them. I know he's 32 and he's probably on... He do, probably doesn't provide Hawthorne with what they necessarily need right now, but I think he'd be a really valuable addition to the Demons. And winning culture. There's so much that can be said for yeah. getting guys in that have been there and done it um, and you know they know how to win. And for a team like Melbourne who... No one really has had success at Melbourne on this current list. You get someone like Smith in, he, the education he provides to some of those young guys is invaluable. Absolutely, 100%. Well, Matty, it's, uh, it's going to be a big week of prelim finals. I can't wait. Yes, yeah, something about Sunday night. Who wins the Brownlow? Is that Sunday night? Yes. Shit, I don't even know what days anymore. <laughs> uh, I'm still... The virtual Brownlow. Yeah, I still think Lockie Neal. Um... Yeah, I feel he's going to jump to a pretty big lead to start, but then both might peg it back a bit, but I think Neil's going to hold on. You? Yep, I think Neil. Neil from Petrarca. There you go. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, do you have both three? Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Petrarca, yeah, I think it's a pretty pretty Because no one's taking votes off Petrarca. You, well, Oliver will Oliver, take a Oliver few. Early, but, but yeah, Petrarca, I think he was playing such attractive football to watch. I, think I was going to say, I think he'll command votes. Yeah. The eye test, the, the umpires will see a lot more of what Petrarca's doing. Then. I think Neil will have it sewn up in the first half of the year, though. Yeah. In the last few years, the, those midfielders that have been the favourites have actually gone on to win it. Nearly every year. So yeah, Dusty in 17, Tom Mitchell in 2018. Ever since probably Matt Prittis won even, probably. Yep. Has it yep. been a pretty predictable Brownlow? Is there a Smokey? Is there anyone who could be a Smokey in the Brownlow? Off the top of my head. <sighs> well, t- maybe Jack Steele. 2020 yeah. is one of those years where I just, I've, nothing would surprise me at the moment. So maybe a Jack Steele. Not many blokes at St Kilda are going to be taking votes off him. Um, you know, maybe Seb Ross here and there, but he didn't do anything I'm amazing not, for the year. I'm not sure what the odds are um, for this, but if there's a top five market, I'd be interested in maybe a Taylor Adams. Yep, I think, I think yep, could, Taylor Adams could, could poll really well because he was um, he was the sort of the the guy for Collingwood that was um, when the going was getting tough for them. He was the one guy you, you could go. sort of. He's five to one to finish top five. That might be my play on Brownlow night. Taylor Adams to finish top five. Heard it here first, listeners. Uh, jump on, put the house on it. Mate, so, yeah, he's a very he's a very good player. Had a very good year and all Australian was very deserving. Mm. So, um, I look forward to it, mate. Look forward to, to discussing uh, prelims next week and looking forward to the grand final. I can't wait. Isn't it exciting? In seven days' time, we'll know who's playing off in the granny. I can't believe we're here. Mm. I didn't think we we're going to make it there. in 2020, we're but nearly, we've done we're it. Nearly there. Nearly yeah. touch wood. Um, Yeah, thanks for joining me, mate. Cheers.